Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. In honor of this being Bring Hope Week, Brooke and I, I guess we could call it a sermon, but we just want to share a little bit about our story with you guys. You may remember that a couple weeks back, maybe a month ago, we, I shared a little bit of our story about how we met. Well, fast forward to our wedding day. We got married in Conroe, Texas at my mom's ranch on this beautiful day with just a handful of friends and family. It was awesome. There were like horses running in the background. It was just so picturesque and perfect. But, you know, your wedding day is a big deal for a lot of reasons. Um, and one of those is you get a bunch of free stuff, right? You get married and you get like nine different kinds of blender and, you know, some cash maybe. Well, rather than register at Target or, you know, Walmart or Zales, I don't know, we said, we don't want gifts, we want cash, but we don't want just cash, we want money so we can go on a mission trip. We wanted to start our marriage by being intentional and going on an adventure for Jesus together. So we said, you guys don't, don't give us household goods, give us cash, because we want to go and serve the Lord together. Um, we didn't want to just go on a honeymoon. We didn't just want to fill our house with knickknacks and whatnots. We wanted to go and have an adventure together. We wanted to go and do something of significance together. So we got a, a bunch of money together from folks. It was awesome. God really provided. And we just decided to go to Turkey because I had been to Turkey before. And my heart just, I love Turkey. And we just kind of decided, let's just go to Turkey. I've been there and I want you to be there. And so let's go there. And that was how we made that decision. Well, about a month before we were going to go to Turkey, Brooke and I are at the Wednesday night Woods Edge prayer service. Things has been going on for a long time. It's like nine years ago. And we're at the Woods Edge prayer service at our old campus. And for whatever reason that night, we're on separate sides of the room. I'm over here on the left. I'm, I think I was praying with a guy for his marriage. And Brooke was over on the right um, doing something. Probably avoiding praying with somebody. Probably avoiding praying for somebody. And uh, so we're just hanging out there in the prayer service, and it, I don't remember what the focus was, but I, I don't know if it was on a whim, but Pastor Jeff invited our Hispanic ministries pastor, Ricardo Diaz, to come up on stage. And Ricardo goes up on stage, and he's asked to pray for this safe house, this hospitality house, this mission house that's in the Middle East. He said, Ricardo, would you pray for the safe house? And so the whole congregation is praying and agreeing with Ricardo's prayer as he's up there praying about this house in the Middle East that's dedicated to um, allowing workers from dangerous places to come in and get some rest and to uh, like relax without having to come all the way back to America. And as he's praying for this house, knowing that we're signed up to go to Turkey in just less than a month and do this awesome adventure, um, I'd never really given you know, two thoughts about that house. I knew about it. Brooke had never even heard of it, I don't think. But as he's praying, I have this vision. I have this just imagining in my mind of Brooke and I in that house serving together. It was so powerful. I was like, whoa, this is a big deal. And I was like, I think we're supposed to, like, are you telling me we're supposed to go there? And so I can't wait for the prayer service to be over. And Brooke and I go out to the car and so I can be like, you never believe, like, I had this, I, I think I had a vision, I don't know. Well, the end of the service comes, Brooke and I go out to the car, and as we're getting into the car, I'm about to, like, I had a vision, and I think we're supposed, but before I can get the words out, Brooke turns to me and goes, I don't know what that 
guy was talking about, that house, but I think we're supposed to go there. I was like, whoa, whoa. And I tell her what I experienced. And we're like, yeah, I think we're supposed to go there. So over the next week or so, we start reaching out to the mission community here at the church and our leadership, and we tell them, like, I had a vision, and Brooke had the same sense across the room, and we think we're supposed to go to the hospitality house. And they know we have a heart to go and do missions of some kind, to serve, and they get super excited because they're like, the Omers had a vision, they're supposed to go. And they tell us, yeah, the people that run that house are looking to retire, and they're looking for somebody to replace them, and maybe it's you. And we're like, yeah, maybe it's us. And so we're like, we're going to go be super missionaries on behalf of Wood's Edge in the Middle East, and we're just super excited. And so we cancel our turkey trip, and we divert the funds, and like a month later, we're in the Middle East in the mission house that God showed us in a vision at a prayer service where we're like, what do you want us to do, God? Where do you want us to go kind of feeling? Um, so I want to show you guys some pictures of the region we went to. Like when I say the Middle East, that could mean a lot of things. So first picture up, this is our flight over there. And I'll just say, this was the greatest plane ride of our lives because we're going to the Middle East and there is nobody, on, like that's how many people are going to serve in the Middle East, right? We were able to lay out on all four chairs. We had rows. We moved around. They fed us awesome food, even in coach. It was like the best plane ride. Every plane ride I've been on since then, I'm like, why can't we be on a big, empty plane like rock stars? It just never happens anymore. So there's a big blessing right there. You want to say anything about that shot? That's Brooke right there. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the food was amazing, but for some reason the tray, yeah, like underneath that. it, there was an advertisement for like feeding hungry children starving in Africa, and I felt terrible eating all that food. Yeah, there's this picture of this little boy <laughs> underneath, like you eat on this clear plate, and as you finish your meal, this picture comes in line, and this poor kid is like, <laughs> and you're like, really bad. Oh. <laughs> anyway, we didn't do anything about it. All right, next picture. All right, so like Middle East, right? We're just chilling. There's some Arab guys on camels. It was awesome. We saw a lot of that. But like Middle East, what you think of when you, when you think of them, like that's where we were, out in the desert, out in the sand, camels. Uh, I don't have the other picture, but like a bunch of them waved at me as I took a picture in one like super buff guy in a turban, like went like this, and you could see his muscles from like a distance, and we were just like... That guy's awesome. And a bunch of them were like, you know, out remote on their cell phone as they rode a camel. I thought that was a really big, funny thing. Well, and then in the very back, there were these like giant white, um, like fancy SUVs, like with the blackout tinted windows, like coming because up from behind. You see the camels that they're on are like this dark color, but the camels they're walking are white. Those are racing camels. Like the Sheik probably owns those and they race those suckers. And I hear that some of them are faster than horses. Is that true? I don't know. I'm going to go with it. All right, next picture. All right, there's Brooke and I. Look how young we are. Oh, my gosh. Look how, doesn't she look, like, just stunning? So here we are at the beach, um, and they had this, like, man-made little wall thing to separate the poor uh, regular folk, us, from, like, this super fancy hotel where, like, it, even the sand was, like, a different color on the other side of that thing. We did sneak in eventually, though. We did. We totally we just walked in like we owned the place, and... They gave us food. If you walk in with shopping bags, you can go anywhere. It's true. About anywhere. Not even just there. All right. Next picture. All right. There's Brooke in the desert. Isn't that beautiful? 
Um, again, I, I had to be selective with my pictures because I wanted them to fit this orientation, but um, I kept running ahead over the sand dunes taking pictures of my footsteps because I thought this would make a great prayer card. But every time I'd start to take the shot, there's Brooke like stepping in my footsteps because she, I don't know why, just because she was trying to be cute. I don't know. It's like when you're a kid and you're at the beach and we you walk kids, in your footsteps. We weren't at the beach. Footsteps. I don't know. And so every time I try to take the picture, there's Brooke's foot into the shot. So, but I, I did, I got one good one. Um, Once you like, told me what you were doing, communication. Well, I could, it was windy and, stop walking! Um, but yeah, I mean, Middle East in the desert, that's where God called us. Oh, thank you, God. Uh, next picture. So here's, but here's the house. This is where we went, right? Here's this house, and um, it's in this epicenter point in the Middle East, and it's this beautiful place. It's very large. And on any given night, there's 30 to 45 missionaries from all over the region that will come and stay there. And our job was to, like, cook for these people and clean for these people. And as the dude, like, to fix things. This is a big house. They actually have two houses that are adjacent to each other because there's so many people that need to come there for rest and respite. Um, and I, I want to tell you a little bit about the people that come to this house to rest that we went to serve. But before I do, I want to show you the area where this house is located. It's actually, we don't talk about where it is because if, if a lot of people knew where that house was, they'd, I mean, I'm not kidding, they'd probably burn it to the ground. It's a very influential place. So this block, this rectangle that's whited out, that's called, anybody know what that's called? What? Speak up if you I think I heard you know. numbers. That's right, Lindsay. That's called the 1040 window, and they call it the 1040 window because that's the longitudinal and latitudinal um, notations for that window. But you guys, all of the countries and most of the people groups in that window are, are anti-Christian. They're Muslim countries, they're Buddhist countries, they're atheistic countries, they're communist countries, and this is one of the hardest places to share the gospel in the world. 12 of like the 16 hardest places to talk about Jesus where it's not they stare at you, they'll, they'll kill you for sharing the gospel. That is the 1040 window. And the, the house that we stayed at is inside the 1040 window. And so these people that come to this house for rest are coming from countries mostly within the 1040 window. So when I say they need rest, like they need rest or they're fleeing for their lives and have just been kicked out of the country. Or one of their team members the day before was murdered for sharing the gospel. And so they come to this house. You want to share a little bit about some of the folks that we met or the kind of people? Well, and I was surprised at how many families there were. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time I had seen like really little kids, even two-year-olds over there. And that's a lot of strain and stress. Like you think about like my kids can't even be quiet while y'all are worshiping. Sorry about that. And <laughs> like the, the rules that they have to follow in these countries, like the, the social dynamics, like it is strenuous. That like dripped on me at the that same time. It was water of the Holy Spirit. And some, like, some of the people in these countries, like, they were lucky if they had two hours of electricity a week. Yeah. And it wouldn't be enough to even run a blow dryer. And so, yeah, life was not easy at all for the people who were coming here. And so they were coming, and they were like, okay, I want food. Like, what I eat at home. I want clean sheets. I want to call my family. Like, we had an internet phone there so that we could actually, like, call people in the United States because some of them hadn't spoken to their families in months or years. That's right. 
So, yeah, and, and they were needing to be encouraged. They're needing to rest and um, needing to be refilled. That's right. These guys are serving in places that are either, like, bitterly cold or, as, as the earlier pictures indicated, like, terribly hot. Let's, let's camp out on the picture of the, uh, of the house, of the patio, um, with no AC. And so these folks, like, come from a place that, I mean, in the, during the day it can be 120 degrees and there's no air conditioning. Like, oh, my gosh, if you think Texas is hot, that's crazy hot. And all covered up if you're a girl. That's right. you got to wear, I mean, if you're a... Um, American or wherever, like you got to wear the full burqa just to be respectful. And if you have it like at the wrong angle, if it's like too high, if they can see a bit of your hair, they'll gossip about you and you'll be like not accepted. Like it's really detailed. And if the gossip gets out of control, they can beat you up in public. Um, So when we say these people were coming to this place for rest, it's like they, they desperately needed it. Can you imagine sleeping on straw in 100 degrees at night with no air conditioning for months, maybe water, maybe not, not even electricity, what a blessing it is that first time that you go and lay down in a clean bed after a hot shower with sheets. And so our job going over there was to like make beds. Like that's what we did for like 18 hours a day. Because as soon as you finish one, another one needs to be done. And there's a total of, like I said, 30 to 45 beds that need to be made. And then in in any given moment, a group or a family whether for relaxation or running for their lives, arrives at the airport and you got to drive out and pick them up. And then you got to cook as well for 30 or 40 people. And, you know, I, I'm all about being clean and I like a clean space, but I was, um, the, the roles there are a little gender specific. So I was actually on the fix-it crew and I don't really know how to fix stuff at that time and I still kind of don't. But like, I'm up in the attic fixing, like, the internet connection. Or I'm working on a car, and I'm like, what, is, is that, like, the flux capacitor? Like, I don't know anything about it. So I'm really kind of worthless. And then Brooke, not super great in the kitchen. <laughs> and not really very clean. Um, I actually have a picture of the apartment that we were living in at the time of Brooke's side of the closet that I'd like to show you <laughs> to demonstrate. You see the, cl- like, there's floor under there somewhere but, like, that's just kind of how Brooke rolls. And I, I love you anyway. But. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. It does for me. It's like mice living under there. No, there were never mice Dead in there. Dead people. Um, but, you guys, we. Well, and we're not just talking making beds. Like, I had to scrub toilets and showers and bathtubs. Yeah, every single de- night and morning before we had meals and we'd eat a lot of them outside underneath these sunshades. I had to sweep that floor because the desert would literally blow in over the roof and settle. And if you didn't sweep every day, within two days' time, you wouldn't be able to see the bricks. So every day, and you think that's it. That's one-fifth of the entire patio. Like, what I'm trying to say is it's a lot of work. And the people that you're ministering to deserve it and count on it. And the people that ran that house were so passionate about the fact that These folks are risking their lives for Christ. So when they come here, they're going to want for nothing. Like we were there to take care of every single one of their needs. So much emphasis on you make that bed perfectly. If it's your first time to sleep in a nice clean bed, when you show up, you don't want it to just be the sheets are thrown on there and there's like sand in the, like that's horrible. We were stressed and impressed to go so far out of our way. And like I said, we were getting like, 
three or four hours of sleep a night, maybe, up at all hours. And it's one thing to not really know how to cook, but it's a whole other thing to not really know how to cook for 30 or 40 people. Now I only know how to cook for 30 or 40 people. I know. People. She'll make dinner for me and Charlotte and Wyatt, and it's like, what are we going to do with all this food? This is ridiculous. This is 42 pounds of spaghetti. That's all I know. Um, all right. We could keep going, but you guys get the, the picture. Um, these people that we want to minister to, you know, we're, we're all impressed with the way God spoke to us in the prayer service, and we're so, like, excited about, we're going to go and, like, run this house. Um, but we didn't really stop and think what it would take and the gravity of our work. We thought we were just going to get over there and just meet a bunch of cool missionaries and have conversations. Little did we know, it's hard work. And we're like this young married couple. Brooke was 21, maybe. And we're having to pray with and counsel people that are coming from these dire circumstances, and they're facing burnout. They literally hate the people that they've been sent to minister to in some cases because they've been beaten up or cursed or a family member was killed. But, I mean, does Jesus say it's okay to hate them for that? No. Or their marriage is on the rocks because they're living in, you know, the mountains, and their wife is like, I don't know if I saw, like, just real big issues. And we're just like, hi, tell us your story. Here's some burnt toast. Like, that's all we had to offer. So the couple. Some of those people were, like, selling houses to go out and start their mission. Giving everything. Giving everything they had. And we're like, oh, yeah, people gave us money, and we just came over here for Families fun. wouldn't talk to them anymore because they took their grandkids to, like, Libya to share the gospel, and parents were like, if you go there, we're done with you. Like, literally, that's what they faced and what they willingly gave up to go and share the gospel. These, these people were amazing. We thought we were the amazing ones, though, right? We saw a vision. We're going to go and save the world. And we get over there. We don't know how to do anything, really, that's required of us. And our attitudes are like, no, we just want to come and hang out with these people. And they're like, no, you're here to serve these people. And the people that ran this house, like, they had been on the field for, like, 40 years, in places like Saudi Arabia, where if they even think you are sharing the gospel, they'll... They were like Bible smugglers. Yeah, they smuggled Bibles in hidden compartments, like amazing people. And these people were receiving us thinking, our home church back at Wood's Edge is sending us a couple to take over the house, and we show up and we're like, hey, we're awesome. And they're like, these guys don't know anything. We don't know how to make beds properly. How are we going to run a safe house in the Middle East? And these People realized that really quickly, even though we didn't. And so they started to try and discourage us actively, being like, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. And the way that they tried to discourage us is they started giving us, like I named the tasks, they started to give us the really hard tasks, like go in and clean 30 toilets and, and you have an hour. Um, and we weren't getting any sleep, and they received us with warmth, but now all of a sudden they're ignoring us. So basically we go from thinking we're superstars going to save the world, super excited the way God spoke to us, to being like pariahs in this house and feeling rejected and not knowing. They didn't explain it to us. And we're just like, we're losers. Like, we, we, we stink. I mean, well, they even got some of like the other people who were visiting to like get on their side and like gang up against us. And they're like, oh, you can't wear that. And like just totally tearing everything apart about us. Yeah. You guys know, I mean, I don't know that they were like sinning against us, but you know what it's like when you have some, your group and then somebody comes along and just doesn't fit and you kind of push them out 
Or maybe you've been that person that's been pushed out. That's what was happening to us. So we, um, we realized that like, we didn't have a whole lot to offer and that we weren't really welcome. And we're getting this pushback and we're just kind of discouraged and confused and we're writing to our friends back home going, we don't know what's going on. And they're like, yeah, actually, they already reached out to us and said, you know, you kind of stink at it. And we're like, why is everybody against us? And the next thing you know, we're like on a plane back to Texas and we're so like floored. I mean, you ever walked into an opportunity and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this. I'm going to be the best at this. Everybody's going to think I'm a hero. And then you get there and you're like, I'm horrible and everybody's better than me and like nobody wants me here. That's how we felt. Um, so our time at the safe house ended up being like really hard, depressing, discouraging, um, terrible. We went all puffed up and we came home, and this is the word, humiliated. We're humiliated. Absolutely, humi- like red in the face, humiliated. Um, and that's, there's so much more to it, but that's, that was kind of our overall experience at this house. But let's rewind for a second. Let's go back to that prayer service that set all this in motion. Because we went home going, God, what, what's the deal? Why did you just destroy us? All we wanted to do was serve you and follow your command of going over there and running that house and being superstar missionaries. Well, we're home and we're revisiting that. What happened at that prayer service? Well, I saw a vision of Brooke and I serving at that house together. Did we go over there to serve? No. We went over there to take over, to run it, to reach and skip years of experience and steps. We took what God said to us, go over there and serve, and we put our own spin on it. We added to what God said. You guys ever done that? You ever experienced something like that? Has God ever impressed something on you or said something to you? And you're like, yes, but I'm going to do this with it. Well, that's what we did. So we, we took what God said and we ran with it. We added to it and we used it for our own purpose. God didn't say, I'm going to make you a superstar. Go and feel, feel like really proud of yourself. No. God said, go and serve these people. We didn't go to serve them. We went to like hear their story and be a part of the group that we had no right. Like, we were supposed to be last, and we went there with a mentality of, I'm going to be first. Well, and I think we had been, we get kind of set up that way, right? Like, when we're at a certain age, people are like, oh, so what are you going to do with your life? You go and, like, you're about to graduate high school, and they're like, so what college are you going to? What do you want to do? And that's another thing that happens after you get married. Everyone's like, well, so what are you guys going to do now? Like, what's next? And so we're like, we're going to go serve God, and we're going to go do this in the Middle East, and it's going to be awesome. And um, we just got sort of carried away, right? We did. Yeah. We got carried away. And we probably have only ourselves to blame because we told these people we had this vision, and we're supposed to go there. And they're like, maybe you're supposed to run it. And we said, yes, not. Actually, I don't know that God said that. And had we said that, it would have been a different story. But here's how I want to... Take this sermon, this story, and pull you guys into it. We heard from the Lord, and all of you, if you're reading the Bible, you're hearing from the Lord. If you've had a vision or a dream, you've heard from the Lord. If you've been impressed or convicted by Scripture, you've heard from the Lord. So we've all, in one way or another, heard from the Lord. If you go outside and look at nature and you're like, that's amazing, you've heard from the Lord. 
We all hear or receive things from the Lord, and the, the problem is we add to it. We put our own spin on it without asking God, is this what you want? We're all guilty of doing that. We do it on a daily basis. So here's some examples. God has given every single one of us in this room a desire for justice. Don't you have a desire in your heart to see justice done, to see that the right thing happens? Well, that's a thing that God has given, but what do we do with our desire for justice? Well, we become more concerned with who's right and wrong than what's right and wrong, according to the Lord. Um, When you get hurt and you desire justice, that's a godly thing, but how do we seek justice when it comes to our flesh? We hurt back. That's not God's will. Um, We destroy people. We punish people. We divide friendships and groups when we get hurt. That's not God's will for justice. We received a desire for justice, and we put our own spin on it. Even for justice within the church, like when you see a friend of yours that is doing something they shouldn't, or um, someone is doing something to them that they shouldn't be doing, and, and you, you, know, you, you want to make it right, you want to like squash it, generally I think the way we approach it is our own approach rather than seeking God's approach. So like the heart for justice comes from God. That's a good feeling. But then our actions afterwards are not submitted to God. That's right. And so here's, here's the message behind that. You guys, be humble in seeking justice. You know, we are quick to close doors, put up walls, reject people. And that's what we ended up doing at the house. We're like, these people hate us, so we're going to hate them right back. But you guys, have you ever stopped to consider, God, what's your will for me in this really tough situation with my friend or this group. Because I guarantee he wants to use it to grow you, but if you don't stop to ask him, you can just hurt yourself even more. Here's another example. God has given every single one of you in this room a desire for greatness. Don't you desire greatness? Don't you desire to have a great life? Don't you desire to make a difference, to stand out, to be special? That's good. That's holy. That's from the Lord. But that can look a million different ways. And here's what we do with God's given desire for greatness. Um, We twist it. We pervert it. And we start thinking that um, what's great about us needs to be focused on us. Put it another way. Our greatest greatness should be pointing at how great God is. I'm going to say that again. Our greatest greatness should be all about pointing at how great God is. But is that what we do? No, we do what Brooke and I did. We pointed ourselves. Look at how great we are. Look at how awesome I am. That's really hard for God to work with, right? Because there's no humility in that. And if there's no humility in the way we're seeking greatness, he will humble you. He will humiliate you. But it's a good thing. I'm so grateful for how God humiliated us through that experience because it taught us something invaluable. But we could have just come home and be like, I'm done. I'm never going to church again. I'm never going on missions again. I hate missionaries, and they all stink. But we stopped and said, God, like, what, did, what, what happened there? Have you been humiliated? I bet you have. Have you stopped and said, God, what, what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? How can I grow in this? As opposed to, I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm never going to do that again. Be careful about saying the word never to God. Because the people, the people that run that house in the Middle East, 
They said they would never run a house like that in the Middle East. They specifically said that. We will never do that. And then God put it on their heart to do it. And you know what the first thing they did was? They made a list of like 10 other people. They're like, God, pick one of these. If you say never to God, odds are the next thing you're going to find yourself facing is that situation. Um, another, you want to say anything about that? I'm just talking all over you. Here's another example. God has given all of us the desire to serve him and to serve others. But what do we use that desire for? We use it to serve ourselves. We're supposed to be advancing God's kingdom, but we're all about advancing our kingdom, our agenda. And I think that's like the world that we live in tells us to do that, right? To use social media, to use every chance we get to draw attention to ourselves. Self-promotion. That's right. Um, we should be humble in pursuing great, greatness. We should be humble in how we serve others. Because if we're the most important thing, if, if you only serve on the greeting team or the worship team because you like being seen so that you can say, I'm on the greeting team, you need to be more humble in that. If you're only on the swim team or the football team or the chess team or whatever because you like receiving glory, you need some, hum some humility. And if you don't receive it, you're going to find yourself in a situation sooner or later where you are literally humiliated. And let me just tell you, it's a good thing. We run from things that are embarrassing or scary. God uses them. He sets them in our path so we'll walk through them and learn from them and grow in them and use them to point at God instead of ourselves. Um, last example, God has given every single one of you in this room a desire to be loved and to love. Don't you desire to be loved? Don't you guys desire to love someone? That's from the Lord. That's a good thing. But what do we do with our desire to be loved and to love? We rush it. We're impatient. We blast and blunder into situations with people of the opposite sex or the same sex that God was like, no, 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 man, your, your wife's in Tucson. Your, your husband's in New York. You're not going to meet him for two years. What are you doing with that chump? We just rush it because we're like, well, God gave me this desire so I can act on it whenever I want. All the while, the perfect person that he made for you is like in California working at an art gallery. You're not going to meet him at Lone Star or Chili's. I know, like I personally tried my whole life to force love to, to pretend to do everything I could because I was so in love with the idea of it. Um, and when I finally saw that, I was disgusted with myself because it's like someone would ask you out, you're in seventh grade, you guys talk on the phone for the first time, you're like, I love you, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's okay. so embarrassing now when I think about <laughs> it. <laughs> and it's like they have to say it back, right? Um, and like... I don't think they do that now, but, like, radio dedications were a big thing when I was growing up. And we would listen to, like, love jams from, like, 10 to 11 at night. I think and you're losing them. <laughs> I know. But, no, I had a boyfriend once who did that, and he had, like, the same nickname for all of his girlfriends so that he oh. could just say the nickname, and then all his girlfriends thought that they got, like, the shout-out on love jams. That guy's slimy. <laughs> oh, my. Did you think, oh, oh, yeah. No, I listened every night for it. Loser. You guys, be humble in how you approach love, how you pursue it, how you pursue greatness, how you pursue justice. Be humble. And you know what that means. Humility 
means like just stop for a minute and consider God in whatever it is you're pursuing. What are you pursuing right now? What do you want right now? Consider God first before acting. Ask him questions. Brooke and I got a legitimate encounter from Jesus in that prayer service. I want you to go and serve at the hospitality house. And then we picked it up and we ran off without it and we never asked him a single other question about it until we got home, humiliated, burned out, angry, frustrated, divisive. Had we just stopped for one minute anywhere along the way and said, God, is this what you want? Like, are we doing this right? What's your will for us here? All he said was go and serve, and we added to it. Maybe he said, do you, you want to say something? Well, he told us to go and do that, though, knowing That's right. that we were going to botch it, knowing that we would come back humiliated with all kinds of hurt and confusion and causing other people hurt and confusion. Yeah, we need to be humble in the things we're pursuing, uh, whether you're pursuing a place on a sports team, a place on the academic honor roll, a place in your parents' hearts. I don't care. Anything you're pursuing, be humble. Ask the Lord. Ask him continually. He doesn't want to just say something to you and that's the only time you hear from him. He wants to have a continual conversation with you. But know that as we're encouraging you right now to ask God questions as you pursue whatever you want to do with your life or this semester or this summer, like coming to Camp 220, that he also uses your failures. You're so scared. I'm so scared of failing. God's like, I love it when they fail. Because it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to press into Jesus more. Have you failed somewhere like miserably in your life or this year? Yeah, all of us. That, there's a lesson there that God wants you to get and hold on to and use for the rest of your life. There is something profound and powerful in your failure that's good, in your loss that's good. And you need to stop and pause and ask that. Don't put up walls and ignore the fact that God wants to teach you something. Ask him, what can I learn from that? How can I do better? What did you want to show me about who you are and who you created me to be? Because the devil just wants you to think, I'm a loser. And God wants you to know, just count on me. Just ask me a question next time. You're stronger now because that's not going to hit you like it did last time. Well, and God says that when we are weak, he is strong. That's so right. when we have failed in something, when we are humbled, that's when he gets to be great. That's when he gets the glory, and that's when we get to experience real success, eternal success that matters. Yeah, we're like way past our time, but I don't care. Um, I'm going to cruise through some things, and we're going to skip the last worship song for the service. What? But maybe, Well, it's like we got five minutes. We're going to pray. I'd rather worship. All right, worship team, get up here. Um, let's go, people. All right, you guys, here's some... Some closing thoughts, right? I hope you enjoyed our story and it, you took something from it, but here's the overall. Be humble. Ask God questions all along the way. If you hear something in the morning, ask him about it later that day and that night and the next day. Don't just run with it. And do not be afraid to fail. You guys, some of you guys are so afraid to do something. And maybe God wants you to. Maybe he asked you to. And you're so afraid you're going to fail that you're not going to do it. Maybe God wants you to fail so that you'll grow, so that you'll get stronger. Um, in the eyes of men, Brooke and I failed at the safe house, like crashed and burned. We lost reputation. We came back here and people were like, I don't know what you did over there, but you guys are losers. Like our, our, our family, our church friends were thinking bad things about us. 
But God always intended us to fail on that trip and use it because he only asked us to go over there and serve, but some of the awesome stuff that came from that experience was that that failure at the hospitality house led us directly to being on this stage right now. This ministry, doing life with you guys, teaching teenagers about God and the Bible, that was God's big thing for us. And the hospitality house was just part of the path to get us here. But if we just thought that was a failure and I'll never do that again, we would have missed it. And I can't imagine doing anything more valuable and more amazing than doing life with you guys with Brooke. Like, you guys are our safe house. You guys are our, yay, experience in this life. But we never would have found it had we not embraced our failure. You want to say anything about that? Well, and I had always said, I'm never working with teenagers. She said, I'll never work with students. So, again, be careful what you say never about. When I told her, hey, I got a job offer to go be a student pastor, she's like, that's totally what you're supposed to do, but I will never do that. You're on your own, buddy. Look at you on stage in your big blue chair. It is. Well, Brooke. Thanks, guys. All right. I'm going to share a scripture with you, and we're going to lead you through some things to pray. And then we're just going to sing. And if your parents are waiting outside, sorry. You guys, here's, here's our, we need a scripture and a service, so here it is. If you guys would just listen to this in an attitude of prayer and bow your heads. I'm going to guide you through a couple things to pray about before I read this scripture to you. Would you guys just go inside yourself for a minute, just get real with God, with your, with your hopes and dreams of the future, and just ask yourself, ask God, am I hanging on to anything, any idea for my future, God, that's not your will for me? Would you ask him that? Am I pursuing something that's not your will for me, God? Ask him that. See what he says. there's something bubbling up, if there's like an idea or a person blowing up in your mind right now, you guys, you have something that you need to talk to God about. You can do that in your small groups on Wednesday, but I encourage you to do it today. Do it this afternoon. Take an hour. Here's another question for you. Are you wanting to try something, but you're not because you're afraid to fail? I bet all of us have one of those. Ask God if he has anything to say to you this morning about that. Is there something that you have desired to do that you're afraid to do because you're afraid to fail? Ask God to show you what that is. Ask him, what what do you want me to know about that? And maybe just give him your fear this morning. God, take my fear. Make me brave. Give me a lion's heart. He'll do it. Last question. Do you have a failure in your recent or distant past or a loss that has just crushed you, devastated you? Would you give the emotion of that to God right now? God, I don't want to feel like a failure. I don't want to feel like a loser. I don't want to feel alone. Just to ask him to take that off your chest. He didn't make you to feel that way. It's not his will for you. And then ask him and, and, and be listening all day. What did you want me to learn from that experience? How did you want to grow me in that experience?
Because here's what God has to say to all of us in response to those things this morning. James 1, 2 through 3 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Let the failures come. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's who God made us to be. Perfect, complete, needing nothing. If you're in a place this morning where you're feeling the opposite of that, give it to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Students.